Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jillie Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite A-lister food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food and this week through Spice, the latest book from award-winning food writer and cooking books regular, Mark Diacono. It was a joy. Discovering spices that I hadn't really played with before. You know, Ethiopian passion berries. I'm like, what the hell are they? Um, and then you get them and go, how, can I, how did I live without them? That's like, you know, living without the internet or something. I asked him to take me back to the black and white world when Britain was just about to have its taste buds blown into a different dimension by the arrival of the supermarket take you back there so it was it was just me and the old man um your mum had seen the wisdom of uh, living life uh, away from him which was very sensible um he was born in uh, sri lanka so uh, spent the first first 13 years of his life there i think and had a taste for kind of heat you know he, he absolutely loved um heat so had this nescafe jar of chilies had white pepper i didn't even know there was such a thing as black pepper you know it was just like white pepper uh, and now it's quite bizarre because my daughter you know she's like what do you mean there's white pepper I'm like then supermarkets arrived you know every every you know suddenly everybody stopped shopping from the place nearest down the road it's very hard to communicate the change you know it was it was like everything began, you know pasta where everyone's going what's pasta what are you talking about you know the dawning of the duvet you know it's like what do you mean we don't tuck them in it was it was like so life-changing and um and suddenly there it's was... It's like the Wizard of Oz, isn't it? Suddenly everything becomes technicolour. Everything becomes technicolour. And you think, how did we live before mixed spice? You know, or... Uh, what do you mean? I can now get... I can now get one of the mixed spices by itself? What do you mean? Like, yeah, ginger. Do I, what? What? Ginger? No, this is... It was like... Uh, like, everything changed. It, uh, in a sense, I mean, you know, let's not big up the supermarkets too much. You know, you and I mm. both are not necessarily on the side of the super, what the supermarkets have done for the world since. Mm-hmm. But at that time, it really did explode these new experiences into our lives. So from that moment, you know, living in black and white with your dad and the, and the Nescafe jar, suddenly what happened? Yeah, well, it was interesting because um, my dad wasn't a man for change. You know, that, that was not going to happen, um, you know. But, when, but I'd go and, uh, you know, my mum was like a couple of miles away, so I'd go and spend weekends with her sometimes. And we went from kind of, uh, you know, mixed spice would be on the, on the apple pie. one, You know, and then the next week it was like, it was just ginger and it felt totally different. You know, you felt like you'd, you, you, you know, everything was pure and clean and you could taste this really distinct... Uh, loveliness that you could, you know, and then next week it might be cinnamon. So my mum was, you know, she would play a little bit with that stuff. Um, she started using different stuff. She made this really incredible, I remember cheese and onion pie that um, I was very, very attached to. In fact, when that when I left home, she made me a cheese and onion pie uh, and brought it round to where I was, you know, sharing a house with friends for the first time, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, and everybody's sitting around piling into this thing but she would she would try different spices and that I remember that really well you know she would she she was definitely a player um you know she would try different things in it and but it was it was just so that you never knew quite what was coming along next it was quite bizarre I mean I'm not talking about I'm not talking about a spice rack that's kind of you know you're going to be putting shelves up for but you know everybody had everybody had one then that would hold maybe eight little jars of herbs and spices uh, slightly too yeah. close to the oven so it got covered in grease you know but um that, that you know that even that was a revolution it, it honestly it was even then even that was a revolution it felt like you know a world of new flavors and exoticism had come to us 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's so interesting that your dad actually kind of obviously grew up with the real mix of spices, everyday cooking, whereas your mum didn't, but she was much more interested in playing around with flavour. That kind of dichotomy must have sort of set up some questions for you as a young child. I mean, not even you would have been aware of it, but I'm very interested in how people become in, interested in stuff. I wonder if that was one of your early kind of consciousness prods. I, th- I definitely think it did. You know, um, it was it was really interesting because my mum was, um, I think, yeah, all tied up together in, in lots of ways. You know, um, my mum was kind of, you know, had decided to live uh, a, a different life. And that different life involved kind of, you know, colour and flavour and, you know, all of that stuff. And I think she felt maybe cut free. And that was part of, you know, spices felt like, uh, they felt kind of exotic because they were obviously clearly from somewhere else. Um, but they also felt like kind of fun. I think that's a lot of it. You know, they they felt like fun in the kitchen. They were yeah. kind of dashes of exuberance that were unnecessary, but... Um, really essential as well you know and I really like that well I was going to quote that back at you you say that spices are like music painting and poetry entirely unnecessary and utterly essential I love that because (laughs) it's so true it's again it's that that explosion into that world of technicolor why would you ever go back Totally that. Yeah, it feels like it feels like um, the difference between kind of living and existing and between, you know, kind of the light being on and the light not, you know, you can get by. But um, there's, if, if you've got the basis of life covered, then pleasure is uh, a very important thing. And it, what I love about this book is that, you know, in Britain, we have a, a long, rich history of spices, but it's a colonial relationship. And you don't really touch upon that too much. You say that you're not going to really touch upon it, but it gives you uh, an opportunity to play with this sort of empty palette and you're bringing the colours in. So you choose what to bring in, whereas, you know, most of the places that you go to through the friends that you bring in, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later, they bring the colours mm-hmm. and they're the rich cultures that, that are coming with them. But it's, it's the glory of this empty palette that you're playing with. I mean, we were kind of aware of that. Yeah, it was really important to me. You know, I think that, that um, one, of the, one of the joys of writing a food book i think is that um you only really know so much of what you want to include when you start it and that's and, and i really like that you know it, it, i think before i'd written a book i felt like there was that you needed to be the kind of world expert on this thing and then da, 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 da. And, and you've got to know what you're on about yes but you only discover a lot of it as you go because you're playing and you you often you know i i would try something um same with herb you know i try something that maybe i wasn't familiar with or i think i wonder if that goes with that and as with lots of joyous things, you know, uh, a, a sliding door, a little moment of of, of luck, you know, accidental um, comings together, and you make another leap. And it really felt like with spice that there was a kind of freedom in a way because so little of it is, uh, you know, British, you know, and yet the flavours are so embedded in how we eat, how we understand other cultures that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was. You're right. This sense of play was really important to me, while being quite aware of wanting to have some anchors from other places around the world. So um, it was. It was a lot of fun, and it was. It was really the hardest thing I think when I started the book was thinking, you know, this. I, I want to put fifty or so spices in this book. How many 
blends am I going to have? How many recipes am I going to have? I've got to keep the waffle, as you know, I find that difficult to, to, you know, a pretty short level just to get, just to cover the ground that I want to cover. Um, but that, and that's what I've tried to do. It's quite a challenge. Yeah, but you so you take what we kind of know now, and we do have a glorious food culture, largely thanks to immigration and that ability mm. for us to be very open minded and play with this, this very empty palette that, that we have in this country. But, you know, dukkha and baharat and, and chimichurri and all those sort of things, we kind of know now that's really lovely, but yep. not bamboo paste and galak. Dakka, which is a Tunisian five spice I, I've never heard of. It For me, it, it felt like there's more playing to be done in the kitchen. You know, the immigration brings riches to our island mentality, doesn't it? And there's so much more to be done. It's it's very exciting. Is, is that kind of what you wanted to bring to us? Absolutely that. You know, I think um, we can be uh, we can be slightly kind of um, uh, hesitant when it comes to playing with flavours that we're not familiar with, maybe with combinations of flavours. You know, we were talking about um, the Kalat Dakar, and, it, it, you know, that's, that's a gorgeous Tunisian five spice, essentially, with black pepper, grains of paradise, nutmeg, cloves, and cinnamon stick. On the face of it, it's quite similar to other things, but it's really distinct, and it, it, it's really quite full-on, and it oddly... It goes so beautifully with, I don't know, um, dusted on roast vegetables as it does in a plum cake or something. And mm. it's quite a challenge if, you're, if your palate is, um, say, let's say old school British, as in, you know, the sweet stuff goes after and the savoury stuff is here. You know, it, it's quite a, a, a thing you can really tuck into and really play with. And there's a lot of that that goes on. So there's, yes, while there's heat in the book, there's plenty of heat in the book. There's also a lot of kind of combinations that make you go, aha, I wonder yeah. with this, with this. So yeah. there's a lot of room for play. And for me, as the person writing it, it was, it was a joy. Discovering spices that I hadn't really played with before. You know, Ethiopian passion berries. I'm like, what the hell are they? Um, and yeah. then you get them and go, how, can I, how did I live without them? That's like, you know, living without <laughs> the internet or something. Uh, you know, and, that, and that's part of the thrill, part of the joy of it is, is doing that. And I hope that, um, as much as people might get ideas from the book for using things they're familiar with, you know, I don't know, mustard, pepper, chilies, whatever, that there will be invitations here for people to go, aha, okay, I don't know what that is. I might have to buy it off the internet, but my God, when I get, geez, that's such a wonderful thing, you know, and, and, and there are some real kind of expanders here, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you've brought your friends into the playground with those spices. You know, you've brought Mimi Eyes, Burmese food, uh, Yemisiara Basala, her Nigerian staff, uh, Irina Georgescu's, R- Romanian, Samaya Osmani's, Pakistani's, Zuza Zaks, Polish, Jose Pissarro's, Spanish. I mean, even Annie Gray's 18th century English chicken curry. There's so much stuff and 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 the voice of of all these lovely people writing about it is a real sort of invitation to bring them to the party and you know that kind of we'll we'll talk a little bit about what they bring in a minute but I just wanted to kind of raise that issue of the story of spices you know you can't talk about spices anymore without kind of the you know mentioning the slavery and the kind of the colonial oppression and that whole story and you choose not to go into it but you do nod to it and there is that 
a whole issue of cultural authenticity as well mm-hmm. uh, and cultural appropriation. I mean, just very briefly, how did you deal with that and move on? Yeah, it's really tricky. I think um, it's quite a wrestling match, you know, because I, I knew very early on when if you're doing, if you're writing a book about spices, then yes, it's your book of spice. And, it, you know, you can, you, nobody can ever write the book of spice, but it's your book of spice. Um, but it was very important to me to represent the food cultures from around the world, you know, the breadth and the depth of those food cultures in a way that I'm not best able to do. But to tell the story of something like Spice, it felt like, okay, I could, I could, you know, dedicate some pages to the oppressions that are related to them, you know, the, the, the colonialization, all of these historic things that are wildly important, and they are, and I get that. But it felt like um, I would do that at the cost of something else. And while I nod to it, um, what I wanted to do really, and I felt like I would use those pages for instead, was to invite people who are so much better placed than I to represent those cultures, to represent the food culture of the places they call home. You know, so as you say, from around the world, you know, um, so there's 15 or 16 um, contributors some of them you've named, and they have brought the authenticity of their culture to the book. And that's really important because that kind of um, communicates that, I think. And then I get to play in the spaces in between. And it's a really difficult thing because I believe, you know, we're in a very binary world these days. Um, And I think it's really important to hold two things, to be able to hold two things that seem partly contradictory in your mind and allow them both to be true. And I think it's perfectly right that I, you know, can cook something from Southeast Asia or I can take something from Korea and use it in a way that isn't traditional, isn't used, um, but also to represent the people, um, to allow the people from those places to be fully represented as well as I can do in a book that's written by somebody from southwest of England, you know. So um, it's trying to balance those two things as well as I can. You know, it, that's it, it. Feels very British. I mean, you know, all of those people live in Britain, and they bring their and they write about their culture, and they bring it to this great big melting pot. It's one of the best things about Britain. You know, we live in an unstable food culture, which allows all these wonderful uh, influences to come and 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 for us all to play with. And and you know, you you then talk about how you play with their their food. Um, you know, the Ethiopian spice clarified butter, the the nitakebe, is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Nitakebe. And you use it on crumpets. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean I mean potatoes. They, absolutely. It's like if it's delicious, have it. You know, um enjoy it. That would be the wrong-headed end of things if we were to say, but you can't use it like this. You've got to play. And it, and you're right, you know, it's it's interesting, isn't it? it, it in, if there's one thing I regret not being able to include here are, are what people from um, particular cultures that I really tried to, you know, Native Australian, Native American in particular spring to mind. And it wasn't for the lack of trying. It was just, that's the way it went. You should have you know? asked me. I could have put you in touch with some fantastic people. Um, let's let's go to your food moments to really kind of show how you're bringing all these ideas to, to the pot. 
we're going to have to start with the west coast of France, where I've just literally come back from holiday. The Mouclard. We were on the Ile de Ré. You, were, you, you talk about being in La Rochelle just down the road from there. Tell me why you chose this one and what is it about this combination of, 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 of flavours that, that really kind of takes us to that space? Uh, it was a real surprise, you know, because it's gorgeous, isn't it, that coast? It's all kind of, Amazing. you know, big winds and big seas and, uh, you know, expanse and freshness. And, it, you know, that west coast of France is really quite something. Mm. Um, and I, it was years ago and I was kind of heading down that way and pondering a few things, you know, maybe we could live here one day, maybe we did the diddy. Um, and we just went for lunch, as you do. And, and it was actually on Ile de Ré. It was, it was, it was on the Ile de Ré. And, and um, you know, that, that sort of lunch that you feel compelled to... Um, to indulge rather too much in both food and uh, something very very dry and white um and and it, there was there was this i i had mussels and and it had you know if you're not familiar with Mouclad, it's 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 you know your classic kind of white whiny mussels but there's a little mild curry powder hanging around in there and a bit of cognac usually as well um and it, it was a real shock that what, how could this you know and chatting to the the people who own the restaurant you know this is this was the classic um, the classic combination and it, it, I was thinking well how can it be and the only thing the only way I could really um, explain it is is that La Rochelle you know that's that's your that was a huge trade port with the east and the, and, and a gateway for um, a lot of spices that came by sea into Europe that way um, and that must be it um, but it's such a great you know it's got I don't I don't like to hit mussels with like big chili too much you know but just that little combination of mild curry in the back it's just perfect yeah. with that cognac undertone and the um and the white wine too you know it was but it was a real joy it was a real joy and a revelation and yeah. that sense of i was trying to work it out and uh, well we were eating why 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 and that fell into my mind well a friend of mine um who used to live in french guiana said that that was the the historical port for the slaves from french guiana okay so with the the slaves came came the spices so that's a particular french guianan spice that has probably um, stayed quite authentic. I don't. I don't know. You'll have to look into that one. That's fascinating. One of the joys about spice and and recipes and combinations is, it's a it's a family tree that just keeps going, and you can just keep exploring. And I love that. You know that you, there's always something else fascinating about it. Yeah, absolutely. Your second uh, food moment. I love this one. This is the nutmeg brandy Alexander. And when I I'm going to read it. Because when I first read it, I misread a word which kind of is quite crucial. So you actually write, a couple of years ago, I sat on a coach with two friends alighting here and there at various Beatles landmarks around Liverpool. I read that as a couple of years, I sat on a couch with two friends <laughs> here and there at various Beatles landmarks, which also works. Because works. I just imagined you sitting there with the record player on, you know, playing all these songs, thinking about all the Beatles memories and still alighting on Strawberry Fields. But I thought this was just wonderful because both actually leads back to the, the inspiration behind your writing. And you are a prolific writer and you're always having to kind of dig deep. This is a classic example of a Mark Diacono writing inspiration moment to me tell us about it from your point of view <laughs> well it, it, it was 
really bizarre, but um, I, I wasn't expecting to kind of enjoy this, this, you know, the Beatles store. I thought it'd be a bit cheesy, but my friend who's Liverpudlian was like, no, we've got to do it. You'll love it. Um, and we went and it stopped everywhere. And it was just extraordinary in making the connection between and making these four really ordinary people who did extraordinary things seem like very real people. And um, Strawberry Field was... Uh, was uh, a visitor it's a visitor kind of place now you can go to it um but there's it, it was uh, a salvation army children's home that's on the back of um john lennon's auntie's house um and he would hop over the garden wall and play in strawberry field and his aunt used to say like you know that if they catch you you're going to get strung up you know and uh, and and that came out again in Strawberry Fields when he wrote, it's nothing to get hung about. You know, there's nothing to worry about. It's all all right. I'm not going to get strung up. Um, and, it, and whenever I have a Brandy Alexander's, it really reminds me of Lennon because it was his favourite drink. It was his favourite drink. I think he got the taste for it from Harry Nielsen um, in the early 70s and they used to drink it a lot. And it's a classic kind of wonderful drink. You know, it's, it's brandy, cream, and usually creme de cacao is in it. But I think... And there's often a little bit of nutmeg kind of sprinkled on top. But what I did was reverse yeah. the cocoa and the nutmeg. So we've got nutmeg syrup, double cream, brandy, and then cocoa on the top. And my word, it's it, it's just extraordinary. It's one of those drinks that um, you really can drift off to merrily from. You know, it, it, it's a kind of sipper rather than a gulper. Um, and it, 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 it's yeah. got kind of transform, transporting powers. Uh, that I that I'm really uh, attached to, but um, it, I I can't help but think of Lennon every time I have one. It's a lovely, lovely food moment. I love that one. And the third one is is another one of these little sort of writing inspiration moments. Um, it's about the relationship with your dad, even though it's about the relationship with Ted, somebody else's dad. But it says so much about your relationship with your dad as well. Tell us about Ted's mojito. Uh, well, Ted, Ted was, he was a, f- a friend's dad. And um, he was, I think everybody needs a Ted when they're sort of young. You know, a friend's dad who's just, um, he wore life, I think I write in the book, he, he wore life like a Hawaiian shirt. Um, and he, he, you know, he, it, it was just, he was just, everything was great. You know what I mean? You'd see Ted, he'd be like, how you doing, Ted? He'd be like, yeah, yeah. And he always had time for you. You know what I mean? He always had time. He always chatted to you like you were not a kid. You know, how you doing? But he would, I remember a particular time when my dad and I weren't getting on very well. I was about 14. And um, my friend said, Look, hey, do you want to come with us? We're off to Butlins for Christmas. And I'm like, God, yeah, I'd walk there, anything. Um, so we went and uh, it, it was my introduction to Ted's favourite drink. He was quite a lager drinker, but he loved a Bacardi and Coke. And, um, and, and uh, you know, when you're kind of 14, you know, beer still tastes awful, but you're kind of in the lager and like, you know, you're, you're really what you're trying to do is transition from pop into alcohol. And, and Bacardi and Coke was quite a good one for that because it's, you know, it's like three quarters Coca-Cola, isn't it? You know, and Bacardi, you know, there's this, there's the, Bacardi's not disagreeable to your young palate, you know. Um, some things I like to include in every book I do, and a mojito is one of them, and a trifle or two is another. Um, and I was playing around with tonka beans, which might not be familiar to everyone, but they've got this extraordinary kind of vanilla-y, marzipan, sort of cherry stone kind of flavour that's really quite extraordinary. And I made a syrup with tonka beans and uh, sugar and water and stuff. Um, and I, I was trying to figure out a, a mojito, but I was thinking there's something Coca-Cola-ish 
in this and and it kind of got me into making then uh, a mojito that used coca cola rather than using um rather than using sparkling water and the tonka bean syrup is the sweetness rather than the sugar so it's really got all the ingredients uh by kind of flavor style in of a mojito you know it's got the sharpness of the lime it's got mint in it but it's got coca cola rather than um sparkling water it's got tonka bean syrup rather than sugar it's got white rum still so it's a kind of Bacardi and Coke mojito and it reminds me of Ted and the importance of those moments of kindness and it really was very lovely of them to cart me off for Christmas I mean I sound like I'm pulling my dad to bits we just didn't get on for quite a bit of my early life but we got on much better towards the end of his so um, things were all good in the end but it kindness is a very important thing I think and those little small acts can make a big difference and they and he really did yeah absolutely and you describe your relationship with your dad as oil and water um, <laughs> but your fourth and final food moment is about his pick a lily ah yeah yeah i think this may be the case for many men is that you grow up thinking that um your dad is normal but actually all dads are bonkers all dads are bonkers and you don't realize that until a certain point so um my one of my dad's particular bonkersnesses was that he would only allow certain things in the house at Christmas, and I thought, as you do, as you would, why would you not? As you would assume that those things that were only in the house for Christmas were therefore a Christmas Eve, you know. So random things, you know, after eights, Turkish delight, things like that. I just thought they were Christmassy, and pick a lily was one of these things, and I remember being at a friend's house and he had pick a, a jar of pick a lily sitting in the middle of the kitchen table. I'm like. Left over from Christmas, is it? And he was like, what are you on about? And I'm like, pick a lily. You know, Christmas. He was like, are you mad? I was like, well, I thought pick a lily. And he was like, no, what are you talking about? And it was the first window into realising that maybe this was one of my one of my dad's bonkersnesses. You know, and like I say, all dads have them. Men, men grow up to be increasingly bonkers as time passes. And I was like, dad can we get some piccalilli? And he was like, no, no, we can't. No, it's for Christmas. I'm like, why is it? And he didn't, there was not an answer, which is another dad thing, isn't it? But there was this whole list of stuff and he would only allow it in the house at Christmas. And I don't think even he knew why. I don't even think he knew why. This is how, this is the scale of the bonkersness is men get as they age. Is Even they don't know why they think something, but they're not prepared to give it up or analyse it or anything. It's just, that's the way it is. So you've taken it and put it in the book for that reason, to keep it there all year round. Exactly. Sod you, Dad. <laughs> uh, we're having Piccalilli. Uh, it, I'm going to have Piccalilli in August. I'm going to have it in uh, whenever. And I love. I do love Piccalilli. Oh, man. Uh, uh, you know, a Scotch egg, and there is a Scotch egg recipe in the book, uh, is not a Scotch egg without Piccalilli near it. And this one's quite nice because it's a Harissa version, so it's it's playing with the kind of classic... Uh, the classic piccalilli, just tweaking it a little, um, as I think we should. Let's play in the kitchen. And it, um, it's really nice. It's a really nice change on familiar piccalilli. So, yeah, easy to make and really delicious. It's interesting that we're playing with all these different spices now. I always sort of think about, you know, in 10 years' time, in 50 years' time, if we're still here, if we've got any soils left, um, what will we be eating? You know, we... Serious for a moment, or to be mm. realistic, we are going to have massive migrant shifts. You know, we are because that's the way the world's going. We are going to have more and more people coming into the country with their food to keep them feeling like real people in times of chaos. 
it does bring riches to mm. cultures, doesn't it? I wonder where haven't we mm. been yet? Is there a place in the world that, whose riches we haven't plundered, borrowed perhaps? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we haven't borrowed, that's very good. So, right in this book, you know, there there are fifty spices or so in the book. I love playing in the kitchen. I love trying new things. I grow lots of different stuff. You know, it's kind of very much in my personality to be looking for new stuff all the time. And there was still plenty here that I'm going. Okay, Ethiopian passion berries are new to me. Verbena berries never eaten them before you know wattle seed this amazing um flavor from uh australia very um very much traditionally used in uh, uh aboriginal culture it's got a flavor that's somewhere between kind of toasted hazelnuts and coffee and a bit of dark chocolate really quite extraordinary but you know that it's there are more things beyond i'm just scratching around and that's under the next layer or two there would be more things beyond whether they where they come from that's an, i mean it's hard to know it's like what am i what am i going to listen to next that i don't know yet um but i think it's this gentle inquisitiveness and i think um one of the things i wanted out of this book was to take people's hands away from just using say cinnamon where you'd use it familiarly you know and try using it in different directions and i think that sense of play and adventure will extend hopefully and people will try the ones that the spices they're less familiar with but also encourage us all to keep going well, what else is there because they, that that thing that seems logical which is if it was that great i'd know it by now we know that isn't true you know mulberries been the greatest ever fruit we can't eat it for lots of reasons but mostly it's too delicate to reach the shops and often this is the case if the supermarkets can keep selling us black pepper they don't really have any reason to be selling us other kinds of pepper you know um if they can sell us one or two types of chili they don't need to they don't why would they go beyond that because they can you know it's much better to sell us the same thing multiple times so we need to get beyond the supermarkets there are so many great online suppliers but also to be inquisitive about other cooks other books other cultures food uh, and just to dive in and play thanks for listening you can read the transcripts at jillysmith.com where you can sign up to my newsletter and you can follow me on instagram i'm at food Smith, where you can keep up with all my adventures in cookery with leaths online check the show notes and on instagram for full details of how to get cooking the books discounts on leaths cookery courses and i'll see you next week Thanks.